especially in small, medium businesses like ours, that the operation and infrastructure is still growing. So every small maybe report or dashboard that you create, it's something that we didn't have before. And you, you now created a visibility to someone that didn't have it before. And it's a life, it's like a game changer. Welcome to the OpStars podcast, where we talk to revenue operations pros at the top of their game so that we can collectively support each other through the sharing of ideas, learning best practices, and discovering innovative new strategies. I'm your host, Don Opfos. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of the OpStars podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Lamar Zak. She is the business analysis team manager for the go-to-market group at SimilarWeb. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So uh, tell us a little bit about SimilarWeb. What does SimilarWeb do and what is the role of the business analysis team manager? So SimilarWeb is an online competitive intelligence tool that provides traffic and marketing insights for any website or app. Our headquarter is based in Israel, although we have offices around the world from uh, uh, North America to Australia, Singapore, and uh, London, and even Munich. The company has around 1,000 employees, I would say. So we're pretty big. <laughs> yeah. By the time we came, uh, we grew. And uh, my role is um, I am basically managing the business analyst team manager and part of our revenue operation department of the go-to-market. Got it. And then how long have you have you been at SimilarWeb? So I joined SimilarWeb almost seven years ago, which is a lot. Oh, wow. Every time I'm saying it, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen a lot of growth there. Yeah. I first started as a commission analyst at the finance department. I held the first commission analyst role in the company where we were like, I don't know, we had like maybe 70 sales manager at that time. Oh, wow. I mean, not, not even sales manager, 70 people in the entire go-to-market organization. Uh, so I had the opportunity to build the infrastructure there, the system, and basically the design of all the commission analyst role to follow. And that time, I worked very closely with the go-to-market team, part of this role. And it helped me with my transition when I took uh, my new role. So around four years ago or three, I don't, I can't really remember. I joined the business operation department in go to market as a business uh, analyst. And today I'm managing a department of business analysts. So what we do is basically a lot, but <laughs> I will try to summarize it. We are in charge of the go to market operation of similar web. We are in charge of the reporting of our revenue and performance, as well as the go-to-market day-to-day tool processes. We manage the business CRM. We plan the revenue targets, headcount, quotas, compliance, and measure and analyze and trying to optimize the go-to-market performance. We are pretty big group. We have around, I would say, 15 uh, employees in this entire department. and. Uh, my team uh, is specialized in uh, revenue target, headcount, quota, workforce management performance, compliance, basically in charge of reporting uh, our go-to-market uh, revenue. Got it. So really, really similar web looks at the function, the, it's kind of an end-to-end -end revenue operations. You're really doing everything from 
the typical classic sales operations support, managing Salesforce, systems processes, but you're also very heavily involved on the planning side. So targets, Mm -hmm. headcount, quota, and then on the end, doing the dashboards and reporting and the data accuracy. When we had talked before, you do everything from giving that to individual team members to assist them and and how they operate and what their day-to-day looks like, all the way through to your executive team and, and the board. Yeah. We also work with the senior leadership, providing data, insights, and whatever. So yeah, I would say that in my specific team, it's it's kind of an end-to-end role. Yeah, that's awesome. And then what do you enjoy the most about, about your role? I think the fact that you have such an impact on everything that you do. We're now starting to plan the, the 2024 planning and each and every aspect there will have impact on the rep in Australia and the account manager in New York and our company goal and our company basically targets that we want to achieve. And it's also scary, I would say. You, <laughs> you can't do a lot of mistakes. <laughs> but with a lot of power comes also those challenge. So I would say that this is really uh, challenging us. And it's interesting also to have the ability to be the ones that are setting the goals and the targets of our go-to-market. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that draws people to revenue operations as a career, especially in smaller companies, is the level of impact that you yeah. truly have in driving the company growth and driving the success. And it's very, very subjective impact that you're able to really measure. And if you enjoy data, you know, if you love digging into those numbers and really leveraging that information to drive how you're planning and doing things and then watching those results bloom, you know, throughout the year, that's something that I find personally exciting. I think it's what really what draws people to, to the revenue operations, you know, field. Yeah. It's also in the in the small success, I mean, especially in small, mid, medium businesses uh, like ours, that the operation and infrastructure is still growing. So every small maybe report or dashboard that you create, it's something that we didn't have before. And you you now created a visibility to someone that didn't have it before. And it's a life. It's a it's like a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of brings me to the next thing. I know we, we wanted to talk about the OpStars Award. You had a workforce management project and you were, you were in a situation where the company was growing extremely fast. You were at 200 million ARR and you were still scaling exponentially. Yeah. So similar web, you were desperate to really monitor and manage the performance of your go-to-market functions. So I want to jump into that and, and talk about what you presented in your in your OpStars award and the success you saw from the results that you were able to drive. As you said, uh, in order to support our company fast scale at the time, the business was in desperate need to monitor and manage the headcount and the rep performance of the go-to-market. And we needed an efficient way to track it. As you know, the go-to-market in most of the company is the biggest organization, especially in SaaS and B2B company. In similar web, the go-to-market is by far the biggest organization and the targets and performance are directly affected from our workforce size, seniority, staffing, and everything that's related to this. So basically in order to hit targets, the success of the go-to-market depends on the right people with the right seniority and performance. 
if we understaffed, we're not hitting targets. It's really straightforward. And if you're and if you're overstaffed, you're you're, you're gonna spend a, too yeah. much on you're not efficient. <laughs> you're not efficient. It's a balance. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we were overstaffed. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's tough right now, yeah. right? <laughs> So basically, our company never had a good way or one source of truth to align and aggregate on headcount data or efficiently analyze and monitor our headcount trends and performance because the headcount data, not like the revenue data, is a source in different departments. It's part of finance. It's part of HR. It's part of us, revenue operation from the CRM, for the HR system, from the finance system. Everyone are talking different language, different definition, different terminology. So it was basically a chaos. And we, we couldn't even answer uh, simple questions like in which team were missing target due to headcount gaps or seniority gaps. Uh, in which team we have sales rep at tenure risk. How many reps are in downtrend performance? It sounds really easy, but for every small question like this, we needed like a day to analyze. Yeah, I know you're, and again, like if it's spread across different teams, you probably have different systems. Yeah. So none of the, none of the data is homogenized, you know, so, so reporting, reporting ends up being very difficult because one team's report isn't going to exactly state the same thing as another team's report. Yeah. Exactly. So we're basically missing efficient management of the workforce and we needed it to better manage our budget planning, tool costs, training, performance plans. Like it's for everything. It's for everything you can use. So we basically created a suite of tools that's now being used on a daily basis by the operation team, go to market, HR and finance. And this is, we created infrastructure. We started with creating infrastructure. We aligned on, on terminology with everyone. We aligned, we had, we created one source of truth. And instead of creating a, a one-time analysis for each use case, we launched a full product that can be used in the day-to-day and build, as I said, full infrastructure to support and automate it. So that basically allowed us, only the creation of the infrastructure took us like two quarters. So I think that was the main challenge of this uh, project. And, you know, once you have the data from that, it's easy to create dashboard and dynamic and uh, alerts. And we started creating a risk, a risk score for a rep if he's like has a performance uh, risk or tenure risk or maybe activity risk. There is a lot that you can do with this data. We use it for our planning in order to understand how many headcount do we need next year and how is it compared to this year. We use it for our work with finance, for budget and tools. And it's basically part of our life right now. Yeah. Yeah. Now, was this something that you did as a, as a data warehouse? I mean, were you exporting the data from these different systems into a data warehouse and then using like some sort of a BI tool to provide that suite of reports to your managers? Or, or how, how, how did, what was that suite of tools, I guess, that you ended up using? So it's a good question because that was, one of our biggest questions. <laughs> Headcount data has some permissions issues. It's salaries, it's quota attainment, it's performance, and it has some permission issues. So we started by a Google, Google Sheet tool. Okay. 
uh, where we combine all of the data sources into one source of truth. And that was the beginning of the project. And this day we are already working on like shifting all of this into our data warehouse. We found our solutions, but the main and base project was indeed in, uh, in Google, which by the way, I'm the biggest fan, but we thought maybe it's not a very good idea not to do it in data warehouse, but for quick wins and we needed a quick win, it's the best solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. And then what, once you had that, I mean, obviously that information is pretty easy to share once you have it in, in a single repository. So that visibility that you you were able to give to your senior managers and your e-team it was something they didn't have before. And I think they they really appreciated that, I'm sure. Yeah, it was really a game changer in terms of visibility for the management. We started to do bi-quarterly cadences with the managers just to show them the data. Sometimes you, you give the manager a tool and maybe not really use it. So we wanted to actionalize it. So we took the data in our hand and showed the manager data. This rep is in risk. We're seeing he has a downtrend. His yep. activity is in the downtrend. And in 90% of the cases, we were right. Like we flagged the risk. And indeed, later on, the rep was terminated or or something uh, like this. But those areas were very effective, as well as also the small alignments that we need in the day-to-day -day between finance and HR. Sometimes we need for the budget planning to do some uh, alignment and a comparison between uh, the CLO and the chief of HR. And it reduces a lot of time, a lot of time. Also, what is interested in this kind of uh, project that this infrastructure, we have like a replication of this infrastructure by another ops team. It's basically our R&D operation team decided to copy this headcount infrastructure and create uh, their own workforce management uh, R&D operation uh, tool. This is something that I think I'm happy the most that someone can use it and replicate it and use it for another use case. And and I think the other thing we talked about too, the other benefit your team received from this was knowing live where headcount would immediately impact achievement. So if you were missing a forecast, you would know you could add how, how many headcount you would need to add in order to drive additional revenue to meet those forecasts. Yeah. And, and having that information is that's gold for, for a team that's looking to drive results in an efficient way. Correct. And, and I know you talk about the R&D team. Is there any, anybody else at the company besides R&D using it? Not yet, but I believe um, everyone can use it in the future if it's... Uh, yeah, I would think you could share it out to other individuals too, right? Yeah. I mean, other companies probably take your basic structure and, and repurpose it for what they need. Yeah, I think this topic in operation, the headcount niche is, Something that we don't have a lot of, when I try to do the benchmark around it, I couldn't find a lot of information about it. So I was always wonder how does other company are dealing with this mess? <laughs> yeah, well, I, the way I've seen it done myself, I know I've seen models where kind of either you do a, a bottom up or a top down. Right. So either you start with, okay, hey, I want to be at $10 million and you work backwards to figure out how many people you need 
And you look at metrics like, what's the average selling price? How many opportunities do I need? What is the capacity of a rep? You know, how many meetings can they have in a week? What is the sales cycle? How many days is an opportunity to stay open? Yeah. You know, how many activities do you need to get to a meeting? How many emails you need to send, phone calls you need to make? I mean, you can drive it all the way down to the SDR. Mm -hmm. And then the other way I've seen it done is you start the other way. You go up from like, okay, I have 10 people, I have 10 reps you know, what should my number be? And then you can work that going the other direction, that same, those same variables, you work it up going the other way to get a bottoms up view. And then the end result is you can kind of figure out between those two calculations, meeting in the middle and understanding, you know, okay, if I add a person, you know, it's going to do this. Or if I take off, I need to do another million, I need to add this many more people, this many more AEs, this many more SDRs. I've even seen people take it to like, CSM, because if you know all of a sudden you have all these customers, you have to have sales support to be able to support them. It is a very complicated formula and, and, and thing to work on for sure. In our planning, we're doing both, by the way. We're doing both bottom up and top down and then find the balance. I would say the main challenges today regarding headcounted quota is to set the quota given the market condition. This is our number one question we have today. Like, should we change the quotas? Should we change the targets? What is the benchmark with this market condition? So that's another big question. That's, that is the hard question, yeah. right? Like, I think a lot of companies are, are taking the tact of rather than doing a full year plan, they're doing a half year plan. Th- that's exactly what we just did. Is it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we changed, too, we, changed right? it. <laughs> we changed it in H2 and adjusted everything. Now... At least the good news from people that I've talked to and, and things that I've heard, people generally speaking, they're not growing exponentially, but you know, it's kind of flat, yeah. right? It's not you know, not not going down tremendously, but it's not going up tremendously. Exactly. Right. I think a lot of people are treading water, trying to survive through whatever this economic downturn is, and then, you know, we'll see ourselves at the other end, hopefully on a on an upswing. Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> Great. Part of what I want to make sure we, we talk about today as well, a lot of folks that are, are tuning in for this season, I'm talking to a lot of folks that are really the people that are making the difference in RevOps, right? And I know, I know a lot of people don't, you know, they don't go into RevOps like, wow, I want to do RevOps. So a lot of people kind of fall into it. Like my background is I was in sales mm-hmm. and I had a VP of sales that told me, Don, you're a horrible salesperson, but you really love the operations part. I think you should go into sales operations. And I had a whole shift in my career. And then for you, I think, you know, we talked about it at the beginning, but you, you had more of a, of a finance background mm-hmm. and moved into operations. And you've been doing this at SimilarWeb for seven years, which is really a, a long time. So you've moved through that journey and, and moved through different roles. And you know, now I think you, you, you find yourself hitting all cylinders because you're doing these really amazing, impactful things in the role that you have now. For someone that's, just getting their start in RevOps, what are some of the tips that you would give somebody who either wants to, to change roles, maybe change companies to move into revenue operations, or if it's something that they want to make a, a lateral move within their own organization, uh, similar to what you did, either moving from a sales role or a finance role, moving into operations? Yeah, sure. So I'll start with aiming to this uh, change in role because this is something that close to my heart. I was in uh, finance also in my last background before similar web and, and I wasn't really enjoying it. I couldn't find myself there. I felt like in the back end and not in the front. I really like to be in the front. So first you need to learn 
all of the position you have in the company and find out what you like. I did it and then I realized that this is the position I want to be in. Once I knew it, I did everything I could to move to this position. Also, when I was in my last position, I acted like I'm a business analyst. I was a commission associate uh, that calculating commission for the sales rep. I was doing their automation and commission analysis. And I tried to change my mindset to be a business analyst because that is my goal. This is what I want to be. So you don't need to wait till you actually move to this position in order to be in that position. First, you need to change your mind. And in the end, it's all about you. If you know what you want and you have the, the right support, which I had this amazing support from SimilarWeb. We have uh, a lot of career opportunities and there is an open communication and transparency regarding a career path. So I was able to directly approach the hiring manager express my interest. And since then, it's history. But it's really about you and uh, you need to be proactive and not just wait for someone that will offer you the position or something uh, that you might be interested in. I think you should be the owner of your career path, basically. Yeah, I know one of the things when I look back on my history even though I was a sales rep, I was still the person that everybody turned to whenever they wanted to do something in Salesforce because I enjoyed working with Salesforce, right? So I was the one that knew how to import leads. I'm the one that knew how to run reports and create dashboards. So even though I was in sales, I was still doing things that, that I found interesting that were adjacent to what I was already doing today, which was sales, right? So even though I was a sales rep, I was doing all this stuff within Salesforce already, and then I just kind of became the de facto person that everyone went to because they knew I had a passion for working with Salesforce. While I had supportive people, I think the important thing is too, is I had managers that were able to identify for me things I didn't see about myself, right? Yeah. Like I would have been terrified to try to take the jump on my own, you know, and you kind of need that push from a good manager that says, you know what, you need to go do this. Being in sales or being in finance or, you know, whatever the role is, isn't right for you. You need to really go pursue the things that I can see as your manager that you're passionate about, which is really revenue operations. And let's go find you a job in revenue operations that align with those passions so that you can be happy and, and have a really good career growth. And that's what happened to me. And and you know, I was just very fortunate to have that manager in my life to be able to, to do that for me. The other thing, the other thing I think you talked about too when we talked about this earlier was fighting hard to get involved, right? If you don't necessarily have a supportive or, or if you have managers that don't have the insight to be able to see that you have passion for things or that you can do something that you want to do that's different, that you have to, like you said, own that path yourself and then fight to get involved in things that are going to be aligned with the direction that you want to go in. I remember one day I just went to the CFO in that time and I was like, I have a commission analysis to show you. Let, let's talk about our trends. And, <laughs> and it wasn't my job, but it was really... Yeah, it's, and sometimes it surprises people, right? It's like, well, wait, why, why are you coming to me with this, right? <laughs> but then, you know, if you're really able to make that case and you're really able to use data in a way that's going to show the results and, and help drive those decisions, people will just start relying on you and become that kind of de facto person, the people that turn to you whenever they want to answer a question that falls into that realm that you brought to them. Yeah. Well, great. Is there anything you would like to, anything else you'd like to leave us with? 
I just have to say that my colleague uh, Lotem is the number one fan of Lean Data, so she asked me <laughs> to say this. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, That's she's saying this is you. one of my favorite tools and companies. That so she wanted me. <laughs> she asked me to say. <laughs> Well, excellent. Well, uh, we, we, we really appreciate that. It was funny. I, I recently had a, uh, I did a LinkedIn post. My heritage is uh, Portuguese Hawaiian and I, I typically wear Hawaiian shirts. I actually did a lean data Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> I, I did a color one that had the lean data logo, but it was a custom, it was like a floral print. I wore that shirt at Dreamforce and I had somebody run up to me like, Wow, Lean Data! I love that shirt. I love you guys. You know, and it was it was someone, it was someone who was a systems integrator. They were familiar with Lean Data, but they didn't really push us to their customers. And I ended up talking to him, and you know, being on the partnership side, I was able to get him signed up as a partner. And we actually have a really great relationship with that company today. You know, and it was all because I had that yeah. that shirt with Data logo on it because. You know, you go out there, people that know Lean Data are really passionate. And again, they, you know, they love us. And, and when they move to another company, they bring us with them. If they don't, if you don't have Lean Data, when you, you leave a company, it's the first thing they want to bring when they go somewhere else. So it's great to hear that we have a fan. <laughs> and really appreciate that. Yeah, you have a fan in Israel. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Well, that's it for our, our episode today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Offstar Podcast. Great. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. The Opstars Podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com and then make sure to search for Opstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Opstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening. <laughs>